Welcome to the Wildlife Around You Show, a casual nature podcast with your hosts, Blaine and Lainey, both nature enthusiasts. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Always doing very well. Great. So what nature have you seen recently? So I got to see some fun little cottontails while we were at one of the wildlife preserves in Arizona over um, a trip recently. and. They were really cute. A lot of the cottontails that I've seen here in Texas have shorter ears, but these ones had longer ears and they weren't quite as uh, skittish as a lot of the wild ones are here. So they're definitely used to people walking around the trails and stuff there. Yeah, I did a little bit of research on them and apparently desert cottontails, which is what those were, are still rabbits, but they're the only rabbits that have similarities to, to hares like. Jackrabbits, oh. so they live above ground, and they'll eat the branches and twigs and bark and stuff like that. Where normal rabbits will eat lettuce and leafy greens and things like that. They're kind of unique in the rabbit world. Well, and their ears are just—they look more like a jackrabbit's, but just miniature just, versions. Yeah, they're just not quite as big, and their hind legs aren't quite as big, and their ears aren't quite as long as jackrabbits. But there's some similarities there. Yeah. That's really fun, and it was fun seeing them, like you said climb up some of the branches and eat. And I was surprised at how close we were able to get because I, I had our daughter with us and she's not the quietest <laughs> as children are. And the rabbit just kept eating and let us, we were maybe yeah. five feet away. Yeah, they're very tolerable of humans. I think they're used to human traffic around there. Yeah, it was really fun. What about you? Well, at the same preserve, we saw hummingbirds or at least i did in one of the parts as the sun started rising they started going around and they ended up too close for me to even be able to get a picture of them or film them as they were being (laughs) territorial and on branches next to me one was probably a foot and a half next to me staring at me (laughs) what are you doing hold very still (laughs) so it was kind of fun to see them they can start their day yeah they're feisty little birds yeah so we hope you realize big part of why we're doing this podcast is to help uh, kind of recognize wildlife that's around us and be more conscientious as we're out and about on our daily activities. Look around and see what you can see. And some of these will be things that you'll see in your backyard or maybe on your trip. Like the one we'll be discussing today is one that we saw on a trip that we took. And so what we'll be discussing today is the sea nettle. So what can you tell us about identifying the sea nettle? So a sea nettle along the West Coast, they're golden brown. They have a golden brown bell or medusa with a reddish tint. And they can grow to be more than three feet across in the wild, which is quite large. Um, It has white arms and 24 maroon tentacles that trail behind it. And they can be up to 15 feet in length. Yeah. And that's the ones on the West Coast. That's a small version of what we saw. Yeah. Or I guess that's the bigger description of the one we saw, the one we saw was smaller. If you're curious what any of the animals are that we talk about, we put photos that I've captured of them Mm -hmm. on our website. If you go to a porterexplorer.com, you can see some of them. Or if you follow us on Instagram, you'll see them there too. 
But interestingly, these change from West Coast to East Coast. So that was what they are on the West Coast. On the East Coast, they have four thick, long, lacy oral arms that hang from the bell margin, which is scalloped into a shallow lobe-like structures called lappets. There are four to 40 long thread-like tentacles on the bell margin that alternate with marginal sense lobes between the lobes. Pink nettles usually have 10 tentacles and white ones have 21. The ones found in the Chesapeake Bay's middle bay and estuaries have a bell diameter of about four inches and a height of about two inches. And the ones in the open ocean and the outer bay uh, they may have a bell diameter of 5 to 8 inches and a height of 5 to 7 inches. So the ones in the Atlantic, quite a bit smaller. Yeah. But the ones in the Pacific can be quite, quite large. Which I wonder why there's such a size difference between the two oceans. Uh, could be water temperatures and nutrients in the water. Yeah. They are different oceans, not that close together. No, they are very different oceans. So what about some of their habitat? Like we said, there's West Coast and East Coast. On the West Coast, they range from California to Oregon primarily. And the one that we saw was in Oregon. But some go as far north as the Gulf of Alaska. The Pacific sea nettles live near the surface of the water column in shallow bays and harbors in the fall and winter. And then in spring and summer, they often form large swarms in deep ocean water. In the East Coast or the Atlantic Ocean, they are located from Cape Cod south all the way down the East Coast to the Caribbean and Gulf of Mexico, and larger numbers are in the Chesapeake Bay. And I think the one we saw just got washed up on shore, probably in the waves or with the tide. Yeah, the tide coming in and out. As far as their behavior, they are, if you imagine like how a jellyfish is, that's kind of how they swim. They will squeeze the bell together, and that pushes the water behind them, and that lets them propel for, forwards or up. Otherwise, they just float. They just hang there, waiting to get it. Well, how do they reproduce? The females will catch the sperm that's released by males to fertilize the eggs that she's produced and is holding in her mouth. And then the fertilized eggs will stay attached to her oral arms and begin to grow. And once they've grown into flower-shaped polyps, they're released into the ocean where they attach to solid surfaces to undergo the asexual reproduction. The polyp makes identical copies of itself by quote-unquote budding a new polyp from its side. After a new polyp is fully formed, it too is released into the ocean, undergoing metamorphosis and developing a bell, arms, and tentacles until it is fully formed. So it's quite a process <laughs> to get them where they fertilize, split, divide, split, morph, everything until they get back there. It's impressive. What's always looking for these for a tasty snack? What is <laughs> Marine birds and large fish feed on them in spite of their very potent sting. Also, sea turtles, tuna, sunfish, etc. are just some of the specific predators that they have. And what do nettles like to eat? They are carnivores, and they catch their prey using their tentacles to paralyze their prey with a toxin. The trailing tentacles retract and transport the food up the tentacles to the gastric cavity where they consume it and digest it. Um, large prey is partially digested on the oral arms before being transported to the gastrovascular cavity. And once the prey has been transferred, the tentacles extend again to become fishing lines. They also eat zooplankton, crustaceans, snails, 
small fish, and other jellyfish. Yeah, I suspect they're probably given a wide berth yes. by as many animals as possible. They can see those tentacles hanging down in the water. Which I think would kind of a fascinating process to observe. So with these, the toxin is not usually fatal to humans. They describe the pain by the sting of a Pacific sea nettle as being similar in intensity to that of a bee sting. It does not have serious effects except for those individuals who are naturally sensitive to the toxin. Which is good to know in case you are not paying attention and run into one. Yeah. So what are some of the fun facts about them? There are quite a few. Um, they do not see images, but are able to differentiate between light and dark using small pigmented structures on the bell or tentacle base called eye spots. I don't know actually how to pronounce this or a celly. They maintain their balance and orientation to the ocean bottom and surface with statosis vesicles that contain mineral salts that stimulate sensory cells in response to the jelly's movement. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating to see. So they'll know if they're upside down, even though they can't see. Yeah, nature's just fascinating. The genus name of sea nettle jellies, Chrysora, maybe, comes from Greek mythology. I'm not the best in my Greek. Chrysora, uh, reportedly a giant, was the son of Poseidon and Medusa. And his name translates to golden falchion. A falchion was a commonly used curved fighting sword that could cut through armor, a reference to the stinging ability of these jellies. The West Coast sea nettles species name, Fusations, Fusicens, Fusicens, means dusky or dark, referring to the dusky color of the nettle's bell. So something else interesting about them is that some jellies will commute uh, 3,600 feet up and down in the water daily. So think about your commute. They're going... About a half mile up and down every day. For somebody that mostly floats along, that's that's a pretty serious commute. Hopefully they get some good reward for it. Hopefully. We've heard the age-old rumor that urinating on a sea jelly sting will help heal the effects or at least relieve the pain. According to the American Chemical Society, you're better off rinsing the affected area in sea jelly-free salt water instead. The sting is caused by nematocysts on the sea nettle's tentacles, and rinsing will help remove any remaining tentacles and excess nematocytes. Cis, nematocysts. So if you get stung and your friend comes up with that suggestion, tell them otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Just have some handy, fresh seawater. It'll go much better. Yes. Well, this was interesting. Yeah. For those of you on the coast, hopefully watch out for them while you're walking along the beach. You may see some tentacles. Sometimes they look like they're dead, but better to give it a wide berth than to see if it really is like a bee sting or if you're one of the few that's highly sensitive to it. And if you do see one, take a picture and send it to us. We'd love to see them. You can always follow us on Instagram at a Porter Explorer. We hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new about wildlife that may be around you. To make sure you don't miss a future episode, please subscribe to our podcast and share it with friends. If you really liked it and are willing, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd love to see what you have to say. You can find the show notes for all our episodes at aporterexplorer.com slash podcast. So until next time, we encourage you to get outside daily and see what is around you. Thanks. Bye.